0: cast with Charlie Larson. I'm Aaron Sims. Today, with Charlie, we have a guy who uh, really, really good player for the Admirals for three seasons. And and what, the first thing I thought of when we when we found out we were going to talk to him was his versatility and his willingness to to do whatever for the team. I mean, you remember how. I mean, he's a defenseman by trade, and has been a very good defenseman as a pro for ten years, which is crazy to think. 10, 10, years, ten years, right? No, uh, this can't be. That but can't be but words. remember, there was a stretch where he played left wing, and he yes. was awesome. Yeah, at, at that spot. Um, and
1: and uh, a fa- a fan favorite for sure, no doubt. Uh, fan, I mean, well, obviously and by his teammates too. Yes, yeah, yeah, for for sure. And well, I mean, he didn't get in many fights, but when he got into a fight, like something happened like there was a switch that went and it was just like oh my god is that val i can't believe
0: this it's well it's scott valentine joining us now uh from from germany uh augsburg germany uh, val it's great to see you man how's everything going
2: great it's great to uh to catch up with you guys you guys are too kind i don't know i mean Call it versatility or call it having uh, six better defensemen than you in the lineup at the time but hey <laughs> I'll take either or I'll take either I tell you,
0: what what Charlie said about about the fight it the, the fight though it's funny because I just I went to hockeyfights.com before we went on and and uh I remembered it too like I you didn't have many but when you did I he, you may have been undefeated uh, I think so fight. for sure and I was watching one and, and I bring this up because it was against Rockford, March 7th, 2014, the Admirals won eight to three. Um, but from the 1336 mark of the third to the end of the game, there were six fights, uh, including we had Leambus going at 1941 with, I think Brad Mills uh, was at and, and then uh, the ensuing face-off, you dropped him with Bobby Shea and Bobby Shea had no chance in this thing. I mean, that, that guy's, that guy probably looks like he's got a, a skin mohawk in the back of his head because of the <laughs> swelling that you gave him on, on, on this beating. Um, but I, I, and you played the next night, and it like is so often the case, the next night it was really not that big of a deal. There was seven power plays combined. It wasn't that big of a deal. But, but anyway, I, I, do you remember any games like this? Do you remember fights? Do you have that memory? Or are you a guy that just, moves on and, and doesn't really think about any individual highlights or games or anything? Well,
2: I think for me, like, as you said, you know, I didn't have 30 fights a year, like the guys that had to, that had to do it night in, night out. Like, I mean, credit, all the credit in the world to those guys, because, um, having to show up and knowing that you're going to have to fight at least once in a game or this or that, that's a whole other animal but um so i think for me because it was only whatever four or five times a year it's it's a little easier to remember them um as for that switch you're talking about i think my buddies call it the wires crossing a bit you know and you're just like hot wiring a car just tick 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 tick. sometimes right yeah sometimes you Your just sparks
1: uh, go off <laughs> yeah yeah
2: so it tends to happen and uh hopefully usually in, in the right situation but uh Anyways, yeah. So, I mean, I definitely remember some of them. That one I, I do remember because, yeah, like you said, it was like the game was out of control. And, you know, those days in the American League, you knew, like, as soon as the score got out of hand, you're like, oh, okay, here we go. Here we go. Oh, yeah, like, It's just inevitable at that point. And, yeah, there were a handful of fights. And I would managed to stay out of it for the most part. And then uh, I remember he asked our centerman to go. I think it might have been Matt Tuziano, maybe. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Face-up. Yeah. 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 And I'm like, okay, like, hey, like, if you're looking for one, like this guy's, you know, I mean, Tusey got in his fair share of fights, but he's he was
0: like, a, he was more a rat than anything. Yeah.
2: He's maybe five, 10, I'm like, Hey, like if you're looking for one, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so I, I do remember that one, but he,
0: he yeah, he, he, and, and it he, just so happened by the way that the next game, it started 37 seconds in Tusey and Garrett Ross throw hands and oh, that was sure. pretty much it that settled yeah. whatever the score was from the night before that was it then you moved on and you played hockey yeah
2: well i don't know if that was that weekend either but i remember we had a three and three against rockford all three games yeah, yeah. home away home all three games against rockford like friday night saturday night sunday afternoon by like the sunday afternoon it was like i this, mean
1: this isn't minor hockey anymore right yeah. what the hell's going on
2: yeah Yeah. So, I mean, there were those days when you're playing those guys 12 times, plus preseason, plus playoffs. It's like, you get to know guys pretty well.
0: And again, I don't know if it was that weekend and I don't know if John Blum is on the team, but I, 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 when you say something like that, I hear John Blum in my head saying uncle. Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) He said that a lot. Yeah,
2: for sure. For sure. No. And then the other one I remember, not because it was anything I did, but I think everyone, Everyone remembers that that was on the team was the, I don't know, was it? no, it might've been our second year, but the, the, the team, the bench clearing brawl with Rockford. Yeah. The,
1: uh, I, I call it the April fool's day massacre. I'm not sure anybody else has ever called it that, but I'm trying to start a campaign to call it that.
2: Yeah. That was uh, that's like one of those hockey memories you'll kind of have forever. Right. Because that's like that old school hockey moment that when you tell, you know these younger players or your kids or whatever they're like no way like everyone <laughs> literally just skated off the ice and just yeah oh yeah like so anyway i remember that chris, one too chris chris, and-
1: Mule, chris mueller told us that was the fastest he's ever skated his entire life his entire career was going from the bench to the corner so give us your what do you remember from that fight
0: April 1st, um, 2012, April by the way, yes. which Val, Val, it was your rookie season I and mean, near the end of yeah. your rookie season. Yeah. So I don't, uh,
2: I, I missed the first part. And like, this is just from obviously what us talking about afterwards, but I guess Flickr, Rob Flick was going down towards our goalie, Smitty. Jeremy Smith, right? Yeah. Smitty. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and he was kind of trying to get in his head or say this or say that. And I guess Smitty, like said, he just kind of thought he was coming after him so he turned around and just threw a punch at him and then all of a sudden like
1: saw him in the glass
2: yeah the two of them are kind of going at it and like no one really saw it was a tv timeout or something right it was yeah so all of a sudden like four or five guys hop off the bench and you just see like a goalie and a player kind of going at it and like mule said like so many guys skated in so fast into that that we had like four or five guys in there just like Couple guys throwing shots at Flicker, couple guys pulling them off, and then the other guys just turned around and were like, "Okay, well, like, we'll just wait for the next That's guys right. to come in." Right. We, we built like this barrier around them. Right,
1: like, you like boxing them out. Yeah.
2: Which probably wasn't ideal for Flicker because he might have taken a couple extra punches. But oh yeah, um, for sure. And did. then, and then, uh, remember Mike Latta was in the box and he came <laughs> out of the penalty box with no jersey,
1: Nothing with
2: no shirt on underneath his shoulder pads. Right, just straight savage. Yeah, uh, I was like. And uh, yeah, that was that was an all time moment for sure. That, that is it, yeah. it
0: when when everything cools down and, and a bunch of people were ejected, the uh, the coaches were ejected? Um, is it right after the game? Is it funny? Is oh, is it well, is it humorous? Like you guys laugh about it, or are you like those sons of we're gonna? Well,
2: I mean, I don't know if you guys remember, but like we you know not that we were struggling but we were it's not like we were really you were yeah the fight. playoffs
0: you needed to fight for the playoffs yeah and then
2: no. and then we had this you know team melee which was sort of galvanized us in a sense and all of a sudden we went on this like 18 and two tear to end the year and like got in the playoffs and all this stuff and like we just kind of used it to to sort of bring us all together because it was like you said you can laugh about it. like we're in the room after we're like laughing we're like, oh do you see so-and-so do you see so so? and Like. <laughs> this guy was doing this this guy was doing this and you know so you're just almost in, enjoying like that camaraderie and that battle together and all this stuff like it was just it was hilarious and i remember jeff foss was on the team and he he was holding on to a guy while we're out there right because you know there were only a couple of like actual fights going on it was a lot yeah, of press. right a lot of just grab a jeff, guy that's mark,
0: mark van mark van gilder said he found the guy he knew and they just yeah. talked
2: yeah, so and I remember Jeff Foss had a guy and we're like, "Foster, give it to him, give it to him and he's like, no, no, like he didn't like, you know, being respectful Jeff Foss that he is, so then we're in the room after because they kicked us all off the ice, there's like three minutes left before the intermission or whatever it was, yeah. like, Just get in the room, we'll sort this out and then they came in and they're reading off the penalties and it was like, yeah, this guy's out this guy's out and Jeff Foss match penalty, you're suspended and he's like,
0: what? Like <laughs> <laughs>
2: The joke was like, Husser, you should have just given him the business, man." Like, if you're getting, yeah, like, right. I think you it get it worth it a couple games for it too. Like, he's like, "I didn't even do anything."
1: Oh, that's so funny. Well, <laughs> Jeff Foss almost got Corey Conacher killed uh, a couple of years before, so I'm yeah. sure you've probably heard that story.
2: Roommate of the year, eh?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about how you ended up in Milwaukee. You were drafted by Anaheim, sixth round, in uh, 20 tw- What I got it up here, twenty oh nine. So what happened there? And then how did you end up not coming to, or how to not coming to Milwaukee? How did you end up in Milwaukee? Who recruited you?
2: Okay. So yeah, I was, uh, I was drafted while well, I was playing in the Ontario hockey league and yep. I got drafted by the London Knights who, um, as you guys may know are a powerhouse of junior hockey yes. in Canada. and I was playing there and I wasn't really getting much of an opportunity. Um, you know, we had a, a deep, deep team and, uh, uh, all of a sudden right around Christmas, there was these rumors about John Tavares getting traded and this and that because he was in Oshawa, but everyone knew he was going to the NHL the next year. He was going to be surefire number one pick. Right. Um, in our draft year, cause he's a, a late birthday. So they wanted to deal him. all of a sudden um, just like that. January I'm traded to Oshawa and, uh, and I started getting a chance to play, right? I got, I got the opportunities, this and that. And then next thing you know, I got drafted to Anaheim, which was, for me like a really cool moment because it was kind of like that validation in a sense that like it wasn't all for nothing like there were times i was thinking about ah should i just like go back and play junior in my hometown and hang out with my buddies and you know go to school after and this and that and my dad actually convinced me to kind of stick with it just you know see how it goes whatever and anyways got drafted to anaheim and went to a few camps there um it was a Great organization. It was really eye-opening to see some of those pro guys. Like, I remember going to my first main camp there, and that was when they had, like, Koivu, Solani, Getzlaf, Perry. Like, all these guys are on the ice, and you're like, holy crap, like, this is the real deal.
1: Yeah, like the guys that made that organization Stanley Cup champions,
2: right? Yeah, exactly. So, like, these guys are on the ice, and I'm like, here I am, this, like, 18, 19-year-old kid just trying to drink it all in. Anyways, um, played a couple more years of junior, and then there's that – the, the rule you basically have two years to sign with them. Otherwise you re-enter the draft Renter. and um, I don't know, I guess they just didn't really see, they made me a contract offer, but it was uh, it, in the words of my agent, it wasn't worth looking at. So um, yeah, I just, I said, you know what, I'm just going to go back and play another year in junior. I'll play my overage year and see what happens as far as being a free agent. And there was a chance that someone picked me up in the draft again, but like it's unlikely typically that as a, 19 year old unsigned draftee you get picked up again right um but basically immediately it it was actually right around the draft uh nashville had contacted my agent and said you know we like him uh we don't know if we'll draft him or not but like if he goes through the draft we'd like to bring him to you know the, the development camp in july and the rookie camp and whatever so that was kind of the first step and uh so i went there and I was at a point where like I was coming off a really good year in junior and I was feeling really confident and stuff, um, on the ice. And I feel like I just went into that, that rookie camp in whatever it is, August or start of September. And, uh, I just felt like I played really well. We played, I think Florida and maybe Tampa or someone in the, in the the mini games. And like, I just felt really good on the ice and my plan, like honestly, like I packed a bag for a couple weeks. Like my plan was, I'm going back to Oshawa. I'm going to play in the OHL and see what happens. And they just kept saying, "Oh, stick around, stick around, stick around." And then it was, "We want you to go to Milwaukee and like we're gonna we're gonna work on a, a deal with your sign agent you to an AHL deal." And just like uh, and just like that, yeah, my agent contacted me. He's like, "Yeah, so they want to sign you to an NHL deal, like an entry level contract, and they want you to play in Milwaukee and whatever." And uh, yeah, it was in milwaukee uh, already because i was just like well sure i'll go there like whatever you know yeah and then yeah the deal came through uh signed my my first nhl entry-level deal and uh yeah the rest was kind of kind of history for me i played those three years out in, in milwaukee and i was pretty fortunate to get to be there
0: i remember that time um it was tense for you right yeah. i mean and, and maybe it was i don't know if you were lacking confidence or it was just the experience or or what but it was tense like you were really troubled by what your future might be
2: yeah yeah because you know I had so many people telling me like well I mean everyone has something different to say right and people saying oh well just go back and play uh you know play your last year major junior and then you can you can sign anywhere you have another good year like you can sign for bigger money better money this team that team whatever you know, don't put like, you know, you have that camp. And then there's people saying like, listen, you have a great opportunity here. This team clearly wants you here. Like, what are you thinking about? Like, just do it. And then you have, so you're getting all this information from everywhere and it's, it's all contradicting information in a sense. And, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, you're a 20 year old kid. Right. And you're right. You're putting th- this dream you've had since you're five years old is finally coming to fruition. And you don't know if you're doing it in the right way or the wrong way. And on top of it, then I have like, you know, my coach and junior being like, well, when are you coming back? Like we are expecting you back. And I'm like, Oh my God, like, right. You don't know what to do. And uh, so, yeah, it was, it was a tense situation and, and I didn't want to sign there and then be, you know, a, a nobody there in the sense right, of or ship well, to a,
0: Cincinnati or whatever. Yeah. The case and they might have be, all these yeah. other guys that
2: they've drafted. Cause you know how it works, right? Teams draft guys. That's, that's it's a the political
0: most, machine. It's a political it's, machine. Yeah,
2: the ho- hockey's a business. Like we all know that. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to hinder myself by doing that, but ended up deciding that it was a right call for me and yeah, it worked out.
0: So when he, that happens, when you're going through all of that, is it hard to form bonds with people? Like the, the, you, they're your teammates for, or you're in a room with them, but you don't know where you're going to be. So is it hard to try to make relationships work when you really have no clue what you're going to do? Um I think or when you're struggling so much with what you're going to do. I
2: think the fortunate thing is that the younger guys you're kind of just close with because you're the same age because you're, you're young. You're young and you play, you know, junior against each other or this or that. So you, you kind of have that bond already. And then the older guys have been around and seen all this stuff, yeah, time after time.
0: Well, and Fordo Fordo is the perfect guy with yeah. all of that stuff.
2: Exactly. So, like guys like him, like they've seen it they're not like thrown off by it they're like yeah another day at the office like right just, like, worrying about a- contracts or this or that or and and so like it wasn't uh there's was no disdain or anything like that from other guys and there was if anything they were trying to help you know like help me out and I remember like Fordo talking to me about what a great place Milwaukee was and the organization and the staff and everything and he's like listen like I you know can't promise whatever's going to happen in your future but like you're you're setting yourself up on the right foot by by being in a place that's run the right way and uh and yeah i remember that sticking with me for sure
1: the first year you're in milwaukee your head coach is kirk muller a canadian hero did you you obviously you knew who kirk was but what was it like to play for him
2: yeah i mean uh when I knew Kirk was going to be the coach there, it was, uh, I mean, anytime you have, you know, an NHL legend like that, as, as someone who's going to be a coach to help with your development and help you through your first years of pro, like it's very exciting. And, um, I mean, obviously, you know, he was more, I would say that the forwards coach quote unquote, if you want to call it that and sure. had more, more to offer those guys, but that's just just as far as the small details in the game, as far as, caring yourself as a professional and how to act and how to treat people. Like it doesn't matter what position you play or where you're from. Like it's all the same things you need to be doing to be a pro. So he had all those, you know, piece of advice and obviously he had, and, and didn't end up staying uh, overly long, but even just those first few months there, like I remember talking to him at, at the golf uh, golf tournament that Harris hosted us at at Milwaukee country club and, and getting a chance to kind of talk to him and pick his brain a bit. And, um, those guys that have, you know, played 20 years in the NHL or whatever he played, it's like, they've seen it all. They've done it all. So you kind of have to just be a sponge around them.
0: I was hoping, and, and, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you your thoughts, but I met him in July. Uh, he, when he came to town and, and did the rounds, he came to Summerfest and, and, uh, Ian Herbers had a, like a cookout at his house. And I was invited and I went over there and Ryan Costello, of course, and Jason Nordby and his wife, and Kirk and his wife were there, and Herbie obviously and his family. And and I had the greatest conversation with Kirk Muller. And I thought, boy, oh boy, we're gonna hit hit it off, and this is gonna be such a great relationship. And then before Thanksgiving, man, he's gone. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he's gone. What? And and as I remember it. Herbie whispered well we're at the airport and we had to do the radio show on Monday We're at the airport on Sunday
2: coming home from Charlotte coming home yep.
0: from Charlotte and Herbie says to me I'm gonna do the radio show tomorrow and I said, well it's Kirk's turn and and Herbie's like, no I'm doing the radio show tomorrow." And I'm like okay yeah, all right fine if you guys worked it out that's great we'll talk to you then um, and then you find out what's going on but when we land and we get off we get off the bus and herbie says to Kirk, you got to say something to the guys, and Kirk turns around and says, "We'll see you tomorrow." Yeah. And what? And then when you then you get Twitter the next day, and you're like, "What the hell is going on here?"
2: Yeah. So that's uh, that was kind of the unfortunate side of it. I'm sure a lot of it had to do with timing and other stuff, but um, like there was a, a few of us living in the same apartment, same apartment building that year, and I just remember we woke up at whatever it was, seven or eight on the Monday morning and it would yeah it hit the Twitter sphere you know and, and Nick Ciprios
0: was all over it yeah yeah
2: and you know new coach Carolina Hurricanes and blah 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 and like well I, I guess we don't have a head coach anymore so. <laughs> <laughs> and we were kind of texting each other and we're like yeah like he's gone like Kirk's gone and anyways and then we we came into the rink and he had just had he would wrote good luck guys on the board and that was about it, it was really he did good. write something yeah, but,
0: yeah. He did. He did leave something because I, I I was under the impression that he never, never arrested with yeah. any in the in the least. I mean that's that's and I like Kirk. Don't get me wrong, but that's the least that he could have done.
2: Yeah. And, to leave that note. Again, it could have been could have been timing and stuff. Of course,
0: and, of course.
2: With not wanting to say anything before it had been made public and this and that, and then had to be right out of there, and he's yeah. right back to to Carolina. But um, but yeah, that was that was it was a bit of an odd uh, day and a half for sure.
0: Yeah.
1: So to talk, talk to us through your your rookie year. How was your transition to pro hockey? You played uh, a lot of games, over sixty games for us that, for the Admirals that season. And uh, how do you feel your transition went? It must have been at least pretty good. You uh, on a good team or a, a playoff team. You must have had a a decent transition, I would think.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was obviously uh, there is that transition period. The first whatever you want to call it a month or so. And you're learning, I mean, you're always learning new things at that age and that, that stage of your career. And I think it says a lot to like the older guys we had and like the quality of guys we had. Um, obviously Scott Ford was probably my, my biggest mentor there um, on and off the ice, just how to carry myself, you know, how to dress, you know, how to take care of yourself uh, at the rink, how to act uh, when you're on the road, how to treat people, uh you know in the arena like anything right he was he just he had it all and uh and we were actually roommates that year which is funny because he was oh is that right yeah he was uh, probably 32 at the time and I was 20, I was just gonna
1: so. say how does it end up with a, a a veteran guy how does he end up rooming with a uh, with a rookie at, like you said 21 year old
2: yeah I don't know I mean he must have taken a liking to me, I guess. I don't know. I mean, he's only human, so. <laughs> but no. By uh, the way,
0: that was his career high year for goals, so yeah, maybe well, there's something there. Yeah,
2: yeah, but no. But we had we had a great team, and like we were pretty close off the ice those years. Uh, obviously, we had that group of rookies that came in together with myself and Lada Beck Ellis. Um, Yos was down with us for a bit before going up. Um, huh. You know, we had, we had a couple of young guys that were in there that could really play. And then we had some great older guys with, with some leadership abilities and stuff. So yeah, we had a good group and and we really got along well off the ice, which when that happens, it makes it easier on the ice. Cause it's just like, you're out playing hockey with your buddies, right? It's not, right. you're not scared every time you step on the ice at practice, you can go out there and snap it around and have fun. So,
1: and I got to believe it makes it better, easier also, because in the AHL, no matter what anybody says it's it's got to be about you because you're trying to make it to the nhl and so there's jealousies and even if they're never expressed or at at all if you're not friends with a guy it's a lot easier to be like well why that guy that guy shouldn't be called up he sucks that should have been me type of thing but if you're friends with the guy you're happy for them when they do get called up
2: exactly and it's such that's what it's such a weird dynamic in those rooms so weird yeah everyone's either fighting to not Get sent down, or to try and get called up, and even though these guys are your twenty or twenty-five teammates, whatever it is, they're the ones you're directly competing with. Yeah, they're your competition. Not get sent down, exactly. or or to get called up, and so like you have to have this camaraderie and brotherhood, and at the same time, like you said, it, like you're 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 chasing your dream, right? Like you're not chasing the other guy's dream. Like he's chasing his dream. You're chasing yours, and it's who's gonna do whatever to get that that nod. So it's hard to like find that balance. But like you said, when you're close off the ice and have those good relationships, then you can actually be, listen, like if someone tells you like they wouldn't have preferred to get called up over whoever else, like they're lying right to your face, because you want to go to the NHL every, you know, every hockey player does, but when you can, like, you know, I can honestly say when, when Tony potato plays, gets called up playing the NHL, I was thrilled because we were, very close friends and got along so well that I was genuinely happy for him. Obviously I would have loved to play NHL games too, like any other hockey player. But so that's why it makes it such a weird dynamic. But at the end of the day, like if you can have those good relationships off the ice, then it makes it a lot easier. And I think it's part of the reason why we, we had success and made playoffs those years.
0: I I need to tell you uh, I was on the only time I've been on the NHL network radio. And I think it was with Boomer Gordon. And they asked me, um, give me an under the radar prospect. And I said, you, and, and, but here's where I think I've never been asked back. I said, he played for Ottawa, mistakenly rather than Oshawa. And uh, I think I've never been asked back because of that. So you- Well, oh, I'm I, to blame, yeah. Because, <laughs> no, no, it, it's, my, it's my, it's 100% my mistake, but it was because I was talking about you As the under the radar prospect that Nashville that NHL fans need to need to be considering, so I threw that I threw that out there. That's how much I thought of 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 your game. So I appreciate just just to let you know. Yeah, Uh, two two more things about your rookie year that I uh, that I want to make sure. Uh, You mentioned we talked about the the bench clear against Rockford, but it starts a little before that because I remember so many articles coming out at that time. Dave Baylor at the journal sentinel writing things and people were pointing actually it was about 10 days earlier it became it 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 was an 80 degree day in milwaukee and everybody ended up at the beach yeah and and that kept going
2: and and it will yeah the good times rolled from there yeah yeah so we had like those that freak whatever heat waves roll through and it was 80 degrees and we all we literally all went to bradford beach like the whole team
0: Like Kevin Henderson brought the wiffle ball stuff or something. We, played,
2: we, we had a wh- full like 10 on 10 wiffle ball game <laughs> on the beach. And like it was honestly the most fun. And that's I mean, I, I do remember the articles and the pictures were in the paper of us playing wiffle ball on the beach. Oh, yeah. Not a shirt to be seen. <laughs> yeah. I remember because Herbie was so mad at first, right? It came out and he's like, What are you guys doing? Like, go to the beach. Like we play, he he says, "You guys are gonna have beach legs." And then Don Blum <laughs> looks at me and goes, "I don't think that's a thing." <laughs> and this course, is like California, March.
0: This is like March twentieth.
2: that this, yeah, hour. of course, uh, of course, the California guys. Like, I don't think you can get beach legs. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, and then that was honestly that was part of that same sort of role where, like, from there on, you're just just vibing and yeah. I, actually my family was down visiting this sec- i think it might have been the second time we went back to the beach and they were there and they couldn't believe it they're like this is great like you guys are so lucky i'm like well it's not always like
0: yeah right. Hey, this, is,
1: this is milwaukee in march it's 80 yeah. degrees all the time yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. the other thing the other thing uh do you remember where you watched the super bowl that year oh gosh oh.
2: i don't know if i do
0: in houston texas at the oh, Flying Saucer.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We had to make a quick uh, pit stop with the team bus at the county jail. <laughs> yeah. 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 The Finnish Mafia. The, the Finnish Spare Mafia. Fans,
0: the three. Yeah. And it was only three. Yusuf Husten and wasn't yeah. there. But yeah. Timo Vaxo, Ate Ingram, and Lionen. Who I felt the worst for Yachty Lyon and because he, he didn't seem as worldly as the other two.
2: Yeah, that was, uh, I'll never forget that. I still tell that story. Like, I, I told that story like a month ago. Well, I'm sure. tell it. Tell tell, yeah. it, tell your version. Well, so, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, there was the Super Bowl Sunday and we were on that big Texas swing. Um, and we were heading leaving, to Austin the next day. Yeah, we were leaving to Austin on the Monday. It was just a travel day. And so we went out and watched the Super Bowl. But I mean, I haven't been to Houston often. I don't know if this is always the case, but like, we walked out of this place at whatever you know, whenever the super bowl is done 12 o'clock or whatever and i Nine,
0: probably 9 30 10 o'clock somewhere in there yeah we might have
2: hung around and had another beer or something but we we get out of this place and there is no one around like right
0: the yeah. city maybe downtown it downtown houston we yeah downtown maybe houston. the
2: area we were but like there was no one there so you know we all walked back to the hotel this and that. we have the bus tomorrow and don't think anything of it so the next day we get our stuff loaded up on the bus and we're heading to austin and Fordell, our captain at the time, comes uh, stands up on the bus. He's like, "Boys, we uh, we got to make a quick pit stop here. We we lost a couple guys. Lost a couple guys last night. Got to pick them up." We're like, "Where are we going?" Like, and so the bus is just like meandering through downtown Houston, and then pulls up outside of like whatever the, the Houston courthouse or whatever, wherever they were being held. And we're like, oh, boy, you know? <laughs> and Fordo has to, like, go in because neither of the coaches – the coach is like, we're not going in. Like, this is your yeah. you guys' problem. Is- you guys can go handle it. So Fordo rolled in and picked these guys up out of jail. And <laughs> I'll never forget, like, seeing – like, he was leading the way back to the bus, Fordo, and the three Finnish guys behind them, like, dragging their feet. Like, oh, I'm sure – maybe slightly hungover and just spent the night in jail sleeping <laughs> yeah. on a – steel bench and just like walking onto the bus to, to an entire team and staff waiting for them and just like the like slow clap and like all, all
0: time well oh. and shuffling their feet too because they didn't have laces in their shoes yeah yeah maybe that's why they're walking so slow <laughs> but how about there was a skate that day remember the skate dave dave and doug had dave randolph and doug agnew had gone up to prep the prep the practice area or prep the locker room in austin at the cedar park center yeah and when we got there dave had put jail stripes on those three sweaters oh. those three practice jerseys that's yeah again the old school hockey right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. right that doesn't right. happen in germany does it well
2: ideally not no <laughs> <laughs> ideal yeah
0: we live in a, an Preferably ideal world yeah yeah the uh you played in your but by the your way current... to, to close you had one hell of a first year the experiences yeah. you had in your first year that's a lifetime oh. of experience yeah, like, no kidding, year, right? all these
2: things happening this is like wow th- so this is what pro hockey this is, is. pro <laughs> hockey
1: right slap shots nothing right yeah. <laughs> oh goodness so you come back your second year in milwaukee and it's, a, it's a new coach uh, Stan is still there but new head coach uh, how was your relationship with Dean?
2: Um, To be quite honest with you I think we kind of butted heads a bit because uh, I don't know if he had a, a ton of time for uh, me being the young personality that I was at the time and right. I don't think I had enough respect at that age for him or what he'd accomplished and stuff as far as um, you know, how I should be treating them as, you know, a kid who'd only played 60 games of pro hockey and 21 year old and this and that. And so at the time, I think we kind of butted heads and, uh, it's funny and because he ended up being friends with the, the coach who brought me to Augsburg. And so oh, they had right? talked about me and stuff. He's like, yeah, I hated that little shit, you know? <laughs> so I know we definitely butted heads, but like that aside, I, I did actually, I really loved him as a head coach and, uh, and yeah, he was he was a phenomenal coach, and obviously, I mean, he's clearly having success in, in Minnesota, and s- speaks to him as uh, how he can manage a room and manage players, and and um, so he was a great head coach. I just think like when we'd have our one on one meetings, we maybe didn't see eye to eye all the time, but right, um, that stuff happens. But uh, you know, it didn't affect necessarily, uh, you know, the on ice stuff you know I played and honestly I felt like the second year was maybe the best hockey I played in in Milwaukee and that was the lockout year if I'm correct
0: the start yep it was
2: and uh I honestly was you know at the first part of the year I was kind of feeling like if it wasn't the lockout year that would have maybe been my my chance kind of to to maybe get some games to, and this to and that. see but something but in that in, obviously in Excel, it, yeah. it didn't work out that way but I remember playing like some some good good hockey and being Loved playing for Dean and everything, but yeah, I could, I could tell he, uh, that, uh, yeah, he thought I was a bit of a shithead sometimes.
1: <laughs> well, th- talk about what that, uh, how was that? How was the,
2: uh, the, the, not the chemistry
1: in the locker room, but just the, uh, the atmosphere in the locker room where there is no NHL, no one's getting called up you're in the American hockey league. And the last time, the previous time to that, there being a lockout, they canceled the whole year. So I bet there was probably a lot of like, listen, guys, the NHL ain't happening.
0: Who's going to have the, my job. Yeah. Right. Or where am I going to be? Yeah,
1: exactly. What was it like that year?
2: Well, yeah, I remember like going to camp that year and thinking, well, there's going to be all these guys basically looking for a place to play. Right. And uh, they're wrong you know, there were guys that kind of lost out on, on games or playing time or jobs or whatever. Um, I was fortunate enough to not have that happen. Um, and I think that's maybe part of what drove me to like play well that year was knowing there's other guys looking for, for that spot. So, um, but yeah, I think not having the NHL, like it, it, Again, we're a lot of the similar guys that had been there the year previous, and we're tight off the ice, and uh, and yeah, we had we're playing good hockey.
0: Yeah, I want to. I want this is this is gonna this is completely out of left field, and I'm only doing this because I just looked at the roster from that season. Um, But one of the guys on that team, and he ended up playing some games in the NHL with Nashville that year, was uh, Daniel Bang. And I'm curious, what was he a personality at all? I remember him being so straight-laced and, and focused on everything. And, I mean, forget, this is a very selfish question on my part, but I'm just trying to remember some of these guys because nothing really stands out to me except what he did on the ice, the speed and all of that stuff. But no, it, the personality, nothing really stands out to
2: me. Yeah, he, he, was, he was very, very quiet, very quiet. And he uh, – I don't know if it was necessarily the language – problem coming from sweden like i right. think he spoke english well enough to you know converse and i don't know if he just preferred being at home or this or that but he was a bit of a homebody from what i remember he, he yeah. didn't typically find himself out socializing with us and and you know when we were doing stuff as a team but uh and we had a couple swedish guys that year that that tended to kind of run together and stick together so
0: but patrick patrick Celine was there and and seals was more part of the little group more outgoing yeah
2: yeah 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 definitely he was and he'd try and fit in a bit more with us but I don't know if again that was a bit more international experience or this or that I, I couldn't call it but yeah I do remember Banger was a bit he was just quiet he just you know he wasn't rude or mean or this or that right. he just kept to himself
0: right and then and that might be there too like he he'd had success in Sweden and maybe he thought he was an NHL player and it didn't work out Necessarily like he thought. And I yes. mean, who knows? Uh, who, who knows? knows? But who knows? like I said, he, he's, he's always been an interesting name to me because he was talented on the ice. There's no doubt. But, yeah. uh, but I, don't remember, I don't even remember interviewing him, to be honest. And you know how many times I interview guys during a season <laughs> of formal, <laughs> formal interviews. So um,
1: that, that second year, the Admiral signed a guy to come in and uh, help out from, from probably because of injuries, uh, Mike Leambus who you pe- became pretty good friends with. What do you, did you know Mike before then? And just talk about your relationship with him.
2: Yeah. So I didn't know him personally at all, but again, we, we grew up, we played in the OHL uh, for a bit against each other. And obviously just being in the hockey world knew who he was. Uh, you know, he's a bit of a volatile character, if you want to call it, as far as right. his on ice uh,
1: he had a yeah. reputation. He had yeah. a reputation, exactly. Yeah.
2: So, you know, of course I knew who he was. We, we didn't have any personal relationship. And I can honestly say I've never maybe played with a single player whose on-ice and off-ice um, personalities or how they carry themselves are so far apart, right? <laughs> because he can be an absolute menace on the ice, and he does it so effectively, and he's probably one of the nicest human beings I've ever met on this planet. The uh, most
1: most caring person, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. he truly
2: cares. And,
0: and there's nothing dishonest about him yeah. whatsoever.
2: If he if he only had a nickel, he'd give you a dime, you know. So he, right. we ended up living together the following year uh, when he came back. Uh, me him and Colton Sissons. And like that, I, we still talk about it. Like it's probably some of my fondest hockey memories was that year we lived, lived together, the three of us there. Um, and yeah, we became very close and there, there's just nothing like he wouldn't do to help you out or to, to do whatever he could off the ice. And like, I think that's why on the ice, he's such a great teammate is because he, he carried that on the ice, but he just did it in a little more aggressive fashion.
0: When the yeah. three of you are living together the tendency is to think one's the messy one one if he, if it's just two one's the messy one one's the neat one blah 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 what was it like with the three of you um well so originally it was going to be just me and
2: me and mike liambis yeah and then um colton sissons was coming and he's sort of looking for a roommate and we're like yeah right like but you know like again it was colton's first year 20 year old kid and we're like you never know what you're getting right when you're right 20 year old kid like but to his credit, like he, he was a pro from the he was a, yes. Right. Yeah. He was a
1: 32 year old, 20 year old,
2: right. Yes, from a exactly. maturity perspective. So he, he was never an issue at all. Um, and that's, but I think that's why, like I said, it was some of my fondest memories of, of pro hockey. It was because we all got along. None of us were messy or this or loud or annoying or doing this. Or, like we all just gelled as roommates and like we had a great time together and you know, we'd cook together, we'd do, we'd, we, we hosted Christmas the one year, and Scott Ford actually came, slept, he basically pitched a tent on, in our living room, and, and slept on a, a little mattress pad in our living room, because he couldn't go home to, to BC, Right. He had like three eight, three days or whatever, and he's yeah. like, I, I don't want to stay alone at my apartment Christmas, you know, and we're like, well, just, hey, come, come saddle up with us, so he came, and he actually moved in for like three days over Christmas break. And we had like, oh. we had the entire uh, you know Christmas party. All the guys that didn't go home invited everyone over. So yeah, we we had uh, we had good times there.
1: The one of my favorite pictures that uh, uh, that we've had is on, on headshot day of that year. Mike says, "Okay, we need a picture of me, sis, and Val all standing together, almost like in a uh, in in, this, in the Step Brothers, uh, yeah. uh, vein, right." And so the three of you are standing there you get your pictures taken and then you make coffee mugs out of these pictures.
2: I still have two of the coffee mugs at home. Like I still like use them to this day. Like people up my coffee thing. It's like my wife has all the like trendy like coffee mugs and this and that. And then I have the like little mug with us three idiots on it and our (laughs) warmup shirts.
1: Which I think is just prices. It's got to make you smile every time you pull that thing out.
2: Oh, it's great. It's great. And, and going back to, to Paisy too, like, uh, Mike and Paisy are, are really close yes. as well. Yeah, for sure. So, so then Adam Payroll, we're like, talking Adam Payroll. Yeah. 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 So it almost rekindled, um, me and Mike's friendship as far as reaching out to each other and stuff, because if, you know, if me and Adam were together and we're talking about Mike or vice, you know, vice versa, whatever it is. And yeah, so it's been good. There's sort of that, that connection there too, but no, it was a good year.
1: And, and, and. You talked a little bit about this guy already, but one of the, another one of the characters in Admiral's history, like straight out of Central Casting, out of a guy from Long Island, right, Tony Battetto. Uh, Talk about your relationship with Tony and uh, and and Andrew, and on ice and, and off ice. You're both defensemen, right? And and sort of the same number, twenty two and two.
2: Yeah, no, we I uh, was another guy. We kind of hit it off right away, um, and you know, a guy I knew nothing about um beforehand because right a college guy from the states college guy this and that so like we had no sort of connection beforehand but it was just you know we're both you know loud guys like to talk tell jokes whatever so like we just kind of hit it off we were kind of like the two jokers in the room you know and um and then we actually it was kind of ironic like the two of us like young loud you know starting out our pro careers and then Fordo and Joe Pascula who was playing there and the four of us kind of became pretty close as like, you know, the D men and right. playing together and this and that. And, um, yeah, we ended up having like a, a good group of friends, but Tony, man, like, I don't even know if I can tell some of the stories cause the family might come after me You know, But, <laughs> but he's, uh, yeah, he's got some good stories that guy, man. but just, yeah. yeah and such a great human and, um, always stood out for his teammates. I remember like, again, I didn't really know anything about this guy and, we were playing in grand rapids and I w- he went over and challenged i think it was brendan evans yeah yeah just a, a pretty
1: a pretty big guy to challenge
2: yeah if you're from north battleford saskatchewan you don't want to like <laughs> 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 but tony goes over and like again i've known tony for like a couple months at this point i've never seen him fight he's not an overly big guy this and that and he's like challenging this guy and i'm like what are you doing, man? Like, like
1: no, no, <laughs> you know? yeah, don't do it. <laughs> yeah,
2: And then no, he held his own. And like, someone's like, yeah, no, Tony's a, Tony's a bit of a nail gun. I was like, okay, yeah, sure. So yeah, he kind of had it all. And obviously he's carved out a nice career for himself and like, I'm thrilled for him because you could tell he he really wanted it. And he's always a great guy in the room. He's one of those guys, If you know, he was in and out of the lineup. It didn't matter. He was bringing the same energy, same optimism, same laugh um and those guys you know it's nice to see good things work out for good people
1: yeah you you talk a little bit about uh, the divergence in personalities between what's on the ice and off the ice and you've mentioned mike liambus another guy that that was never uh, couldn't be more true about is mika salamaki like the most timid quiet guy ever he didn't say three probably didn't say three words the entire season in the locker room but on the ice the guy's a bulldog just chasing H- had a bit, a little bit of skill and just running guys all over the place.
2: Yeah. Yeah. He was like a little bowling ball. Like I remember a couple times in practice, he'd kind of like, without even meaning to, he just like bury like a D man on the forecheck and guys <laughs> right. like, Oh, like, you know, like, Hey, like, we don't, we don't do that here. Kind of this is practice, <laughs> but, but he, he genuinely like, didn't know he did anything wrong. Like guys would be like, Whoa, Hey, hey. and he'd like turn and look like, well, what like,
1: yeah. Right. Like, like a puppy almost. You yeah. Know?
2: like Sorry. I was just going for the puck. Like, <laughs> but yeah he was uh yeah he was a little bulldog for sure
0: a guy uh, another guy real quick um and, and mark van gilder that played more games than anybody in admiral's a h l history um when you when you i don't know if you've kept in touch with him or not he's been playing overseas not in the same league but um just you when you when you think about him what do you, what do you think of
2: just uh just a fantastic human being i think is uh really the best way to describe him. He, uh, I mean, obviously he's, you know, been a, been a leader on that team and was with the franchise for a long time. And it'd be hard to find uh, many guys that could say a bad word about him for sure. Um, I know for me, he was, um, someone who was always there for me if I needed guidance, um, advice, not necessarily hockey, but life wise, um, he wasn't shy to help in any way he could um, as far as pushing you in the right direction, you know, as a human, not just as a hockey player. Um, And I think those were sort of the intangibles that like made him such a great player. Obviously he had stuff he did on the ice. That was phenomenal as well. And one of the best penalty killers I've ever played with in my life. Sure. Um, Great on face-offs, but uh, no, off the ice, he was just such a great human being. It was (laughs) Pretty surreal to see, actually. I mean, it's like he—I mean, blink twice, he walk on water. You know, like it's, it's, uh, it was—it was pretty special to get to play with him.
1: So you uh, let's go into a little bit of spend a little bit of time on uh, your post admiral's career. You played in Texas in the Stars organization for a year, and then you got to make the decision. Like when you go to Europe, that's sort of like you know that's oftentimes turning a page in a guy's career. So tell us about that process and and what what went into that for you.
2: Yeah, so my my agent had had played uh, was a player as well and had played in Europe and he told me basically since junior hockey like about different options and this and that and and Europe had always been something he brought up just because of his past there. But he always said from day 1 that almost exclusively if you go to Europe, you're not coming back. And at the time I took it as no one will want you if you go to Europe and play like you're untouchable in North America now because no one wants, you know, undesirable now.
0: Right. But
2: I think what he was more alluding to after being here and playing here is that you don't want to go back. Yeah. Right. Like after. say,
0: because when you went, you're, you're 24 years old. Like yeah. you're still a young man with good hockey yeah. in front of you. Yeah. But
2: it's, uh, I'll tell you, it's, uh, you don't realize what a grind the American hockey league is until you're out of it. Right. And it's great. I mean, you know, you get to play hockey for a living. It's nothing to complain about, but all these things we've talked about that, that compete in the room, trying to keep a job, trying to not lose a job, chasing your dream, all these things, like it weighs on you, like not just physically. And, and you talk about the fights and the this and the three and threes and the all well, these. And,
0: yeah. And all of that stuff means you're sacrificing yeah. free time or relationships or whatever yeah. it might be. And it takes a toll like
2: physically, mentally. Right. And and in the moment, it's just like, well, this is just what I have to do. This is what I have to do. You tell yourself that. But then when I came over to Europe, it was almost like that separation gave me that chance to look back and be like, man, I don't know how much longer I could have really lasted at that, at that pace, at that, like, doing that. And right. obviously, for some guys, they've, they've made great long careers in the American Hockey League. But for the most guys, most part the guys I talked to that have come over here and played, you know, in this league or on my team. They say the same thing. It's almost like you find that love of hockey again, because it's now not, you know, you're not going in and fighting tooth and nail for every inch, every single day. You're you have a job, you have maybe a family over here. You're getting to travel and see the world and enjoy hockey. And it's still a great hockey. All these, all the North Americans from here are all former AHL players, maybe NHL players, HL all-stars. Like it's a high level of hockey, but you don't have that mental and physical beat down that you're constantly getting when you're playing at home.
0: Yeah. Right. Well, and you've the, been in Germany, this will be your seventh year, right? Sixth with this one team.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I played my first year over here. I was on a, a different team in Germany, same league. And then, uh, I signed here in Augsburg that my my second year in Germany, the year after that. And it, uh, I mean, great organization. It's, it's, you know, a smaller club in Germany, if you want to call it that, as far as, um, you want to read, team budget and this and that, but it's actually one of the oldest uh, hockey clubs in all of Germany, one of the oldest skating clubs in, in, in Germany. And we have probably the best fans in the league. Uh, if you asked a hundred players, 99 of them would say the best fans in the league and the town is great. Um, and I just fell in love with it. And basically I've <laughs> my goal each year is to play well enough to get
0: to come back here. So,
2: right. Um,
0: when, you- when you go to lunch, do, do you get noticed? Do you get do, do people come up to you? Uh, the odd time, yeah, the odd
2: time. It's it's big enough that, uh, you know, it's not like a, a little village. It's almost 400,000 people probably here. Okay. So it's, it's still big enough that you can fly under the radar. But for sure, the guys, you know, that have been here for five, six, seven, eight, ten years uh, get recognized a bit more, especially if it's a hockey fan.
0: How, well, and there, too, what you just said, five, six, seven, eight, ten years. My goodness. It, to play three years in one spot in milwaukee as you did that's that's unusual rarity that's that's unusual nowadays
2: yeah so i mean that just speaks to how great this this organization and city is that i currently play in because we have not only german guys that have stayed here but i'm talking just north americans we have uh i mean adam is going into his adam payroll is going into his fifth year i'm going in my sixth year here or maybe his fourth year sorry i'm going in my sixth year um you know my one of my best friends here he's going into his I believe eighth year here we have one guy going in his 11th year here these are all North Americans right you have a, Drew,
0: Drew, Le, Drew LeBlanc
2: he's going into his, his seventh year here as well so these are North Americans that instead of going league to league or team to team or chasing dollars or whatever it is have have basically built a second home here and um, yeah, we're lucky to have, have a great city uh, here. And a great how, how, he
0: Charlie, Charlie can speak better than this, but because Charlie is very close with Greg Clausen, but Greg Claussen's made Germany his home. Right. Right. Yeah. Dad, do
1: you know who, do you know, Greg at all? Uh, he, he played for the admirals. He was a national draft pick, uh, yeah. and played for us for a number of years. And then now he, he lives in Germany.
2: Yeah. Personally, I don't know him, but I do. I remember him for sure yeah. on the ice, but
1: how, how is your German? How much uh, do you spreken?
2: It's actually not bad. Uh, my first year, the place I was living in was was kind of quiet, and I was here on my own, so I kind of took it upon myself to to pick it up, and I felt like I kind of owed it to myself. Like if I'm gonna live over here and stuff, and and right, have this to, to participate
1: in the culture,
2: yeah, participate in it and have something to hold on to after, right? Because if you, right. you know, 15 years down the line, you tell someone you lived in Germany for whatever years, and they're like, "Oh, you speak German?" like no, not a word. Like, <laughs> yeah, right.
1: Oh. oh, really? So, how did you live there?
2: Right, you know. Oh yeah, so, no. So I've I've tried to learn it, and and uh, you know, making friends with some of the German guys and having them to kind of bounce stuff off and ask questions. It's it's helped for sure.
0: Do you? Does the German league have to deal with relegation and things like that?
2: Um, up until this year, we haven't. Uh, it's always just been based off of purchasing license. So, if fourteen teams in the league really viewed their license, they stayed. Okay. Um, and then now starting this season, we have uh, relegation. Wow. So now that... it's like putting a bit of pressure on, on some of the bottom teams to kind of,
1: I think that's the most insane concept and I would love to see it in North America. Like that is so crazy to think that, uh, uh, just the, the whole concept of relegation just blows my mind.
0: Well, it's, yeah. it's very not American. No, no, we should yeah. north american right we're not used to it but over there they're very used to it right yeah
2: yeah it was almost odd that we didn't have it in a sense yeah yeah, yeah. One of the few leagues that didn't so but it definitely puts a bit of pressure on those bottom teams right oh, it's gosh. like all those guys with multi-year contracts and everything like those are just poof gone so
1: yeah that's nuts that's cool. crazy so and now and we should mention you're married now how long have you been married did you meet your wife in germany
2: no um she's actually from from my hometown um and we met actually just after the season i was playing in texas so my last year in in north america and uh yeah so we've been together since then um we actually were supposed to get married uh this summer i should say we were supposed to have our wedding this summer and because of covid and stuff we ended up pushing it till next summer okay um but we had discussed getting legally married uh beforehand um regardless. So we decided to, to just do that, um, before I came back. So it was actually just a few days before I left. So end of July.
1: Oh my. So just Um, had this just happened.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh.
1: Congratulations.
2: Yeah. Yeah, And then our, our actual like wedding with family and friends and everyone will be uh, next June, middle of next June.
0: I, get, I give you credit for talk, telling the coffee cups thing earlier and saying my wife because it's so fresh that you could have said my girlfriend or my whatever. Fiance, so, yeah, yeah so absolutely. Good for you. You've got it all down.
2: Yeah, exactly. I'm tra-
0: I'm in training still, but I'm so far so good. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> good. <laughs> Charlie, you have anything
1: else? I got nothing else,
0: yeah. Uh, Val, when we close these, we always ask our guests uh, the question, when you think of Milwaukee, what do you think of?
2: Wow. Well, that's, uh, I mean, I think you guys know me well enough to know like my love of the city. Um, like I was, to be honest, I was looking at real estate before I didn't end up coming back for my, my fourth year to Milwaukee, but I was like, yeah, I'm just going to buy a place here. Like I could, I could live here. Like uh, it's been a big part of my life, the city itself. And obviously the organization um, when I think of the organization, I think of of the staff, I think of you guys, obviously Harris as an owner and the stuff he does, even to this day, last summer, you know, um, me and, me and Lindsay went, uh, or maybe two summers ago, me and Lindsay went through Milwaukee and, and Harris gave us, got us baseball st- uh, tickets, you know, to go see the brewers. It's like, he, stuff like that. He doesn't have to do it, but it's just the people involved with, with the club and, and the entire organization, all the staff. Um, it's, you know, it's no secret why they're successful every year. Um, as for the city, uh, I still try and go any chance I get. My now wife is uh, in love with it. I've taken her there two, three times. She's always asking if we can go there and nice uh, go back for the summer. So, yeah, it's just it's a great spot. Uh, and and I, I honestly miss it when I'm not there and uh, looking looking forward to visiting again.
0: Well, so the way you're talking, is there a chance that this becomes home when you're done playing? Well, I don't know. It depends if Charlie has a job for me or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully you're playing long enough that he's not the one making the decision. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I hope so. That'd be great.
2: <laughs> yeah. Talk. Uh, yeah. Get Harris back in the room and. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Let's start <laughs> negotiating. Yeah. No, but uh, yeah. Honestly, and, and well, with Scott and uh, being there still, and he's still one of my one of my very close friends. It's uh, it's nice to come visit and see him and stuff, Scott Ford. So. Yeah, I'm looking forward to going back. And oh, my mom also told me to uh, to say that she misses Milwaukee as well. So she wanted me to make sure I said that.
0: Well, that's awesome. good. That's good. Nice. She's yeah. not, she's
1: consider her on the record.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It is uh, unbelievably great to see you. Um, it, it's crazy to think that you've been gone from here as long as you have, because you're still very vivid in everybody's recollections of of good times in Milwaukee. Uh, yeah. The last decade, and uh, uh, congratulations on on what you've accomplished, and uh, all the best to you. Thanks so much for doing this.
2: Yeah, thanks so much, guys. It's been a, it's been a pleasure.
0: Appreciate it. That's uh, former Admiral's defenseman Scott Valentine. Thanks for listening to this Milwaukee Admirals podcast.